In our verses this morning, we're going to be back in 2 Timothy. And we're going to take a look at the same similar verses and we'll move into one more additional verse. But we're looking at some different things from a different angle in these verses. And this morning, we're going to look at the glory of the gospel that Paul presents. So stand with me as we read God's word. 2 Timothy, the first chapter. And let's stand, we'll pick up at verse 8. And here Paul says, Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me of his prisoner, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us, called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given in us in Christ Jesus before the world began, but is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death and have brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Whereunto I am appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher of the Gentiles. Let us pray. Father, may we just be encouraged today by your word, the gospel, the good news that you have for us. Touch our hearts, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. William Barclay says of our uh, passage here, he says, few passages in the New Testament have in them and behind them such a sense of sheer grandeur of the gospel. And let's define the gospel. The gospel, of course, that word is an English translation of a word that means basically good news. So anytime you see that word gospel in the Bible, you can insert those words, good news. As a noun, gospel means all that God has done, is doing, and will do through his risen son, Jesus Christ. As a phrase, the gospel stands for the whole of the Christian message. Uh, someone has said that, <clears throat> that John 3.16 is a gospel in the nutshell, and it really is. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And that's, uh, that's you know, the basic message. Now, Paul, he will give a, a, also a condensed definition of the gospel, but a little bit more complete. Uh, I just want us to turn back to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 1. One of those powerful chapters in the Bible. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 1. And Paul says, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel, the good news which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved, 
if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, lest ye have believed in vain. And then here's what the gospel is. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures, and that he was seen of Cephas and then of the twelve, then of the uh, five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain unto this present, but some are fallen asleep. After that he's seen of James, then of all the apostles, and last of all, he was seen of me also as of one born out of due time. But those verses uh, 3 and, and 4 and 5 really comprise what the gospel is, how Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. Buried, rose again the third day according to the scriptures. And that is the good news, uh, the gospel that is given us. Billy Graham uh, he says, our chaotic, confused world has no greater need to, than to hear the message of good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, as we look at Timothy, uh, let's take a look at what this gospel is. Paul writes to Timothy and he tells us, it is the gospel of power. Verse 8, he tells Timothy, Be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God. You see, in the ancient world, the gospel was the power to live. In fact, Barclay points out that the very age in which Paul was writing was the great age of suicide. Uh, Stoic philosophers, th these guys were seen as the highest uh, principled thinkers of the time, uh, here's one of their sayings they like to repeat. God gave men life, but God gave men the still greater gift of being able to take their own lives away. That is Stoic philosophy. Those are the guys that were seen as the highest thinkers. And here they're seeing uh, suicide as a blessing, as a gift. How warped is that? They had a dismal view of life. And so the gospel comes along, and it is a gospel of power, a gospel of life. It, is, it was just so refreshing. Because the gospel is power. It is power to conquer self. It has the power to conquer circumstances. It has power to live life when life is unlivable. It has power... To, get, to allow us to be Christians when it is difficult to be a Christian. Jesus in Matthew 28 shared with those disciples, all power is given to me. And he's telling us that he has all authority, mastery, power, right, strength. He has it all. And he tells us, I'm going to bestow my power on you so that you can go be my witnesses. And Jesus is powerful. You know, the gospel has great power because of who Jesus is. You look in John 10, when Jesus was sharing with the Jews, he told them, I have power to lay down my life 
and I have the ability and power to take it up again. No one can do that except Jesus. Later, he'll tell John, the island of Patmos, I am alive forevermore, and I hold the keys of hell and death. And then in John 18, how much power does Jesus have? I love what John tells us when he was arrested and, and, and the cohort of soldiers comes along carrying their weapons and torches. And Jesus asks them the question, whom do you seek? And they say, we are seeking Jesus of Nazareth. And he simply answers, I am he. And John tells us that when he said that word and answered, they fell, stepped backwards, and they all fell to the ground. All 600 of them. What a clanking that must have been with their armor and spears and swords and torches. Maybe some got burned. I don't know. Serve them right. That's why Paul, later in Romans, would say, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. It really is. So it's a gospel of power. It is the gospel of salvation. In verse 9, according to the power of God, who has saved us. See, God is a God who saves us. He, he, he rescues us. He rescues us from sin. He rescues us from death. He rescues us from all evil powers. And this salvation, this rescue, is only found in Jesus Christ. Peter, the book of Acts, when he was brought before the religious leaders, him and John, for remember they they healed a crippled man and the book of acts chapter 4 tells us that the religious leaders the pharisees the sadducees they were grieved because they were preaching the name of jesus and the resurrection and that they healed this man so they bring him in and they ask by what power or by what name did you do this and Peter quickly answers, By the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand here before you whole. And then Jesus, uh, Peter will go on in his answer, and he's going to give the stumbling block of his day, and it is the stumbling block of our day. He will tell them, Neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name under heaven among men whereby we must be saved. Jesus is the only name. The only one. No other way it's going to happen. And that makes people angry. When we take John 14, 6, where Jesus said, Thomas asked, how do we know the way? 
Jesus answers him, Thomas, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one, no man's going to go to the Father except through me. He's the only way. And Peter answered the same. The only way we're going to get salvation is through Jesus. Now, the Baptist faith and message, uh, our statement of salvation, it says salvation involves the redemption of the whole man. Is offered freely to all who accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, who by his own blood obtained eternal redemption for the believer. In its broadest sense, salvation includes regeneration, justification, sanctification, and glorification. If you want to know what those means, just get one. We'll give you one. It tells you. It'll explain those. Then the next phrase. There is no salvation apart from personal faith in Jesus Christ as Lord. That's it. That's what the Bible teaches. That's our statement of faith. So, do we want to be rescued from sin? Only Jesus can do that. Do we want to be a new creature, a new person? Only Jesus can do that. Do we want to be rescued from death and hell? Only Jesus can do that. Do we want to live forever before God? Only Jesus can do that. I mean, we look at the birth accounts. The angel told Joseph, you shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. So the gospel, it's a gospel of salvation. Don't forget that's good news. We watch those TV shows uh, or the news where some person is stranded, about ready to drown, caught in a flood or something. Then the helicopter comes in. I tell you what, that is probably a sight of good news to see that helicopter coming. And in the same way, Jesus is a good news that rescues us. It's also the gospel of consecration. Verse 9. We see that God has saved us and called us with a holy calling. So Christ rescues us from the consequences of past sin and he calls us to walk the way of holiness. The good news, the gospel will do that. It'll change our lives. It'll make us walk as different people. Uh, A.W. Shergwin in his classic The Bible and World Evangelism uh, tells of a young Arab in Aleppo, Syria. And of course, today Aleppo is a city that's just bombed out uh, in the Civil War Syria. It's really almost no more. But in the past, a young Arab lived there and he got into a bitter argument with a friend. And he told a Christian missionary evangelist, he said, I hated him so much that I plotted revenge, even to the point of murder. And then one day I ran into you, and, and you induced me to buy a copy of the book of Matthew. And he said, I did it just to make you happy. Bought this book of Matthew. 
copy of it. He said, I never intended to read it. But, uh, but as I was going to bed that night, the book fell out of my pocket. I picked it up and started to read. And I read in the Gospel of Matthew where it says, this is a Sermon on the Mount we just looked at in Bible study. You have heard that it hath been said of old time, thou shalt not kill. But I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without cause shall be in danger of the judgment. I remember the hatred I was nourishing against my enemy. And as I read on, my uneasiness grew, and I reached the words, Come unto me, all ye who labor and are heavy laden. I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon me, upon you, and learn of me. For I am meek and lowly in heart. You'll find rest. Then I was compelled to cry, God be merciful to me, a sinner. And the young Arab got saved and forgave his friend. You see, the Bible puts people on the road to holiness. It really does. That's what the gospel does. It changes our character. And I marvel every time I hear testimonies of what people were like and how God changed them. Uh, now, for most of us, it's not real dramatic. But for a lot of people, it is. Uh, God reaches in, takes their lives out of the trash bin and makes a huge difference. It is the gospel of consecration. It's also the gospel of grace. Paul continues in verse 9 of 2 Timothy. He's called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace. Uh, we centered on this last week. We can't earn our salvation. We can't do enough works to be acceptable before God. Uh, I think as uh, Andy Stanley put it, how good is good enough? If that's how we get accepted, if that's how we get into heaven, how good is good enough? We'll never get there. Uh, that's why I love those verses in Ephesians. For by grace are you saved through faith. Not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. Not of works. Lest any man should boast. That's God's grace. A gospel of grace. But here's the exciting part. It's God's grace that saves us. But don't leave God's grace there. His grace helps us to live every day. It's not just a one-time event for salvation. It is outpouring every day. And that's why Paul says in Hebrews, Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may find mercy and grace to help in our time of need. So every day, God's grace is there. Uh, Billy Graham says, when you pick up the cross of unpopularity, wherever you may be, you'll find God's grace is there. It'll be sufficient. And he's right. It is. And we also see it's the gospel of God's eternal purpose. 
in verse 9, look at the closing phrase of that verse. Which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. You know, some people look at the Bible and they, they have this picture of God. In, in the Old Testament, God is really stern. That's God. He's really fierce. That's the God of the Old Testament. In the New Testament, we find a God of love. Well, let me say, God is a God of love in the Old Testament and the New. We find it all the way through. It's there. Uh, verse 9 tells us that. It tells us that before this world was created, God determined to show his loving grace on the cross. And this is telling us God has always been a loving God. He has always been a God of grace. Uh, Kenneth Weiss, who is a, a gifted Greek scholar, I want you to listen to what he says. Uh, he's quoting from expositors, but he brings in this insight. Listen carefully. Because I want us to see God's love and the complexity of our salvation. This phrase, before the world began, expresses the notion of that which is anterior, coming before time, to the most remote period in the past, conceivable by any imagination that man's know of. You know what that means? We can think back as far as we can. Think back before this world was created. And even as far as we can think back, God beyond that past had already determined to save us at the cross. We can't even think back that far. It is so far back. That's what Paul's saying. There's an eternal past we do not understand. And in that eternal distance, God determined out of his love and his grace, I'm going to give my only begotten and send him to the cross. Romans 8.28 tells us, We know that all things work together for good to them that love God. To them that are called according to his purpose. You see, God is working everything for our good, not just right now, not just yesterday, but in the eternal past, even before this world was made, he was working for our good. He has lined up a, a huge amount of stuff and events and things and people for our good. We can't even fathom. Then Paul says, it is the gospel of life and immortality. Look at verse 10. But is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death and have brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Now remember, Many times I'll encourage you to remember 
Christianity is a supernatural religion. Now, if someone ever asks you, do you believe in the supernatural? Well, tell them yes. I've experienced it. I'm a Christian. Because we are a supernatural religion. Our founder, Jesus Christ, is the Son of God. How supernatural is that? About supernatural as you can get. John Phillips says, The arrival of Christ on earth changed things forever. You think about that. Jesus is God in the flesh. Born in a virgin birth. Grew up. Preached and ministered. Did miracles. Lived a sinless life. Died on a cross. Resurrected the third day. That changed everything. And that's what's so exciting about Easter. Coming up. It's a day of victory. And Paul tells us Christ deals with death. You know, ever since Adam and Eve, death has been in our midst. It's here. It's a curse. No one has any power over it except Christ. And at every funeral I do, I am reminded of the curse of death and the victory of Jesus Christ. He's our only hope. I love what Jesus said to John on the island of Patmos. I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of death and hell. Jesus never conducted a funeral. He always did resurrections. In Revelation 21, where John sees a new heaven and a new earth and a new Jerusalem, and where God takes His people and wipes away all their tears, the first thing listed that will be no more is death. It's gone. Jesus deals with death and he brings life and immortality. Uh, you see, the ancient world feared death. I think our time fears death. But Jesus came with so much truth and promise and hope. Tells us a thief cometh steal, kill, destroy. But he says, I've come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. I'm the good shepherd. And I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish and no man shall pluck them out of my hand. That's his promise. Now right now we got mortal bodies. And when we're in our 20s, we think these bodies, well, they're doing pretty good. But as we get farther out there, we realize these bodies age. 
Uh, we grow old. We grow weaker. And death comes. But the Bible tells us in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet that this corruptible is going to put on incorruption. This mortal is going to put on immortality. And it will happen in a twinkling of an eye. But right now we just walk in the abundant life of God's grace. And it's sufficient. Those who wait on the Lord, He'll renew their strength. You'll mount up with wings as eagles. You'll run, not faint, walk, not grow weary. You see, it's the abundant life that helped a um, a man, a tax collector, change when he went up in a sycamore tree and saw Jesus. He became a different man. Lived a different way. It's the abundant life that a woman at the well found when Jesus and her talked about living water. It's the abundant life that a demon-possessed man in the Gadarenes found when his life was totally trashed out and Jesus restored his dignity his home his sanity that's the abundant life and every time when I see a person who has a trashed out life I will think there but for the grace of God go I But at any moment, Jesus can reach in and redeem the trashed out life and make it abundant if we just yield to him. That's the gospel. The gospel of life. Carrie, I can bring you back up. We're going to sing, open our eyes. Let's stand as we go to our invitation. Is there one here this morning that needs the power of the gospel? The gospel of salvation. The gospel of life. The gospel of what God can do in our midst. You come as we sing.